Well, I think it'll be even more important to develop deep relationships with that shortlist because the more people can just go to a platform and get what they need in terms of information, the less likely they're going to rely on the people who were experts in that arena and pay whatever fee that they want to be paid for their time. So we've got to make sure that we've got loyal relationships where they really understand that the value here is multifaceted. We have to get away from being transactions with each other. And again, that's why that short list of relationships that matter are going to be even more valuable than more transactional relationships that you'd have on the periphery. Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above, They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet, they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Joining us today, wait for it, is a distinguished thought leader in the realm of business development. Now, he's got an impressive career spanning a couple of decades where he's pioneered cutting-edge revenue acceleration programs for countless professional service firms across the global landscape. His work has earned him recognition and citation in various business publications like the Los Angeles Times, the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Business Journal, and many more. He's a sought-after figure. He frequently takes center stage as the keynote speaker at prominent industry conferences. Today, we have the privilege of engaging with our guests because of his remarkable insights into a pressing issue. The absence of a dedicated business development app for vertical service providers is a noticeable gap in the market. The failure rates of customer relationship management, CRM systems, within service industries such as attorneys, CPAs, consultants, and engineering have reached unprecedented levels. Our guest innovation addresses a significant pain point, the challenge faced by solopreneurs who grapple with limited bandwidth for both sales and service delivery. Please welcome our founder and CEO of Pipeline Plus, David Eckert. AJ, thank you for the warm welcome and that great introduction. I so appreciate it, and I'm delighted to be here with you. We're going to have a lot of fun. We are. We're going to talk about these solopreneurs and how many there are and what's their pain point and how come there's no technology to handle it. But before we get into all that, tell us, what is your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? I would say the fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation is less is more. (laughs) Okay. Oh my gosh. I love this. Simplicity at its core. Give me a little bit of data on that. Sure. Well, you, in your introduction, were talking about how CRM has really reached unprecedented failure rates. And it's not just in professional services, it's in so many industries. And when you think about it, you know, CRM has become a pretty mature 
space, right? And the more mature a space is, the more iteration there is. So this is particularly true in technology. You've got a platform, it does X and Y and Z, and that's great, we need X and Y and Z, but while we're at it, let's add A and B and C and the rest of the alphabet, and let's throw a few other alphabets in there, and we need a feature that does this, and we need a button that does that, and by the way, does it integrate with everything else? And pretty soon we have this behemoth, right? And the problem with the behemoth is that you're not gonna disrupt much with one of those. It's iterative. In fact, I would argue iteration is the opposite of disruption. Disruption is where we interrupt this process of let's add another thing and let's tweak it a little more and let's make it try, try to make it just a little bit better. Disruption is where you come along and say, you know what, maybe we just need to rethink this whole banana. And so that's the idea behind less is more. Maybe we need to, instead of adding more things to something that's kind of working, maybe we just need to rethink the approach altogether and just get back to what is crucial. What is making the most impact and how can we put our focus there? You know, it's really very interesting that you say that because in business management, when things aren't going well, one of the things that you do is go back to basics. Yeah. Right. I love this fact that less is more. So, you know, let's talk about the failure of these CRMs and how they just haven't capitalized or really helped the solopreneur, you know, or professional services for that matter attorneys, CPAs, like give us some data on that. Tell us what the status quo is because I don't think our listeners really know. Sure. Well, we've run a number of industry studies on the state of CRM and professional services. And anecdotally, I can tell you that some of this applies thematically in other industries as well. In fact, anything that has the word preneur as part of it, meaning that you're out there trying to build a business of some sort, whether it's a book of business or a new company or whatever, is predicated on the relationships that you have. You're not going to do it alone, right? It's going to take interactions with other people, preferably people who have influence in getting you to your objectives. And the challenge that so many people in professional services have when it comes to CRM is that that's not their primary job. Their primary job is whatever their expertise is. And, you know, I would say this is true of entrepreneurs too. Their primary job is they're passionate about idea and they want to make that idea happen, right? They're not necessarily dyed-in-the-wool salespeople. You have a dyed-in-the-wool salesperson they have the bandwidth and frankly, there's management that's kind of, you know, putting the expectation on them to spend all day in Salesforce or CRM or whatever it is so that they can glean those insights and follow those leads and, you know, dial those numbers and all of that stuff that goes into a sales pursuit endeavor. But if you're talking about someone who has another full-time job already, right? Whether that's practicing law or whether that's building their company or whether that's building a bridge, uh, sales becomes an afterthought. And so you have these CRM adoption statistics that are in some industries in the single digits. Firms have spent all this money putting together a CRM system, whether they built it themselves or whether they're licensing it from one of the you know top CRM providers. And they put it in place and they end up using it just for the marketing side of the house. So what that is, you know, we're going to blast out an email to everybody, a newsletter or a client alert or something like that. And that's top of funnel, right? That's just a message to the world. That is not business development where you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone about engaging you or buying your services or investing in your company or you know something that's actually really going to move the needle. And when you think about this concept of less is more, you start to recognize that CRM isn't really built for that. 
it's basically built for, here's my whole database. I'm going to send a bunch of emails to those databases. And if I really know what I'm doing, I'm going to start building a pipeline of those few people and focus on those few. But and most, I'm going to start segmenting my whole database based yes. on different things that they do yes. and say yes. and buy. And, yeah. But again, yeah. all that list segmentation, that's at the top of the funnel. It is. At the bottom of the funnel, we have, oh, you're a buyer and you want to buy. Great. Let me really understand what your needs are. Let me align those needs with what I can do. And let's have a conversation to, that gets us to yes or no. And it's really very interesting because solopreneurs mostly work at the bottom of the funnel. That's right. There is statistic of, you know, they do business development and then they have to deliver and they do business development and they have to deliver. So while one is up, the other's down. And while the other is up, the other is down, right? How could they manage this? Yeah. It's a great question. You are speaking to the classic pendulum swing that is the conflict between being busy and filling your pipeline. And most people struggle with this because they have to triage their time. They have to focus on one or the other. They can't focus on both at the same time. But the only way to retain a full funnel is to have some sort of system in place that ensures that even when you're really busy, you're still putting some energy into filling that pipeline and making sure that you know you you have some energy going into, yeah, but what about tomorrow's work, the day after tomorrow's work? So let me share with you a couple of things that we've learned. And I'm about to finish a book that's going to come out next year that really emphasizes this point. It's called The Short List. And the idea is, again, less is more, focusing on that short list of people that can have the most impact in your business. So some folks are familiar with Dunbar's number. Robin Dunbar was an evolutionary psychologist who studied tribal systems and studied social networks. And ultimately, one of the things that he looked at was just very simply, how many holiday cards does a person on average send out every year? Because that's typically the number of people you can manage in your life, where if you ran into them in the airport, you'd remember their name. And the number he came up with after doing countless studies on this was 150. We can remember about 150 names and have, you know, relationships. And some of them might be cursory, like, oh, that's the neighbor who lives down the street. Some of them might be, oh, that's my ex-girlfriend. I'm never going to forget that name. And some of them, you know, <laughs> might be, that's my my father, right? Like, or that's that guy that I know, but I can't remember his name, but I know him. <laughs> but that's beyond the 150, right? Is if we can't really? remember their name, that's okay. outside that 150. Okay. So we can pretty much hold about 150 relationships, whether those are cursory or more extended into our heads. Not 500 plus, as LinkedIn would have us believe. And if you look at that number, it's like, great, well, these are all the people in my life who I can kind of manage on some level. These are not the people who are going to make the biggest difference in my life. If you apply the law of the vital few or the 80-20 rule, you're really looking at about 30 people, right? 20% mm -hmm. of 150, you end up with about 30. Yeah. And that's if you're ambitious. For most people, it's closer to 10. And I know that because of Pipeline Plus. So this is software that we've developed specifically for managing that short list of the most important clients, prospects, referral sources in a professional life. And we see that the users that report the most revenue on our platform have somewhere between 10 and 30 contacts in Pipeline Plus that they're managing. Interesting. It's not CRM where you got thousands. It's right. 10 to 30. Because at the end of the day, it's those... 10 top clients, it's those 10 referral sources, it's maybe those 10 prospects that are actually going to close and move the needle for you this year in a way that matters. Everybody else is on the periphery. 
So very interesting. So I love how the 80-20 rule affects, it affects so many things, compounded and so forth, even my industry. But in this particular case, there's 150 people, relationships that we remember. Yes. And Christmas cards too. But really the 20%, the ones that really matter. Yes. Is all the way like related, corollary through so many different avenues or um, parts of life. And here we go, professional services. So the solopreneur, right? Yes. And I think what, where the challenge is, and this is where CRM adoption is very low. You know, most people don't have the time or the patience to click through all the stuff they have to click through to manage a CRM platform successfully. So, you know, we developed Pipeline Plus because we're like, there's got to be an app that is really simple, really intuitive. It takes three seconds to get in there, look at the 10 to 30 people that matter, do something with them and get out of there. And, you know, you're done in 20 seconds. Cause and get your work done. Get your other yeah, work done. Exactly. There's a, yeah. there's a, there's a user profile for that, right? And they tend to be people who already have plenty to do, and they just need to touch on this as a system so that when that pendulum swings and they're super, super busy, they can still do a little something that ensures that they'll be successful tomorrow. You know, I was thinking of my law firm that I work with, right? Uh-huh. So I have several uh-huh. different attorneys, right? Yep. Yep. And they, of course, have a huge CRM system, but none yep. of them use it, right? <laughs> which is to your point, and this is the largest law firm in this area in Tampa Bay, right? Very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think most organizations can relate to this unless again, they have a classic sales team whose full-time job is to, you know, chase those leads and and they're really skilled salespeople with techniques in getting that done. But most people, they're just trying to string one day into the next and, you know, do a little better than they did yesterday and sales is part of it, but then so is operations and so is client success and customer success. And so is strategy. And so is nine other things they're holding in their heads. So at the end of the day, that 80-20 rule really has to be applied or you're going to do a mediocre job with everything. Yeah. This seems like a niche within a niche. (laughs) Maybe it is. I mean, I will say that that was our strategy all along as we, it came from my own story. I was one of these serial networkers. I was having breakfasts and lunches and cocktails with all these people because I thought I kind of got seduced by this notion of the bigger your network, the more influence you're going to have. And sure, I was meeting a lot of people, but at the end of the day, I started having this experience of like, gosh, I met with that person three months ago and I never talked to them again. Mm -hmm. Or somebody introduced me to somebody else so we could quote, explore synergies. And Mm -hmm. we had a nice enough conversation, but nothing came of it, right? Because at the end of the day, I wasn't curating my shortlist. I wasn't in the business of saying, I'm kind of auditioning you to see if you're going to make my 10 to 30. And if you do, I'm going to be reaching out to you a lot. I'm going to be looking to add value to your life. And I'm going to be looking from, for value from you because that's the kind of synergy I'm interested in. I don't want to do endless blind dates. That's right. <laughs> no endless blind dates. So without this sort of system, how much money are these solopreneurs or these professional practitioners like leaving on the table? I would say that it is a matter of multiples of whatever they are making. And you don't have to think too hard to get there, right? Because 
If you're billing hundreds of dollars an hour, or in some cases, even thousands of dollars an hour, then at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of non-billable time that you can dedicate to business development. And so you've got to be really judicious about where you spend that time. And so when you go have a lunch with someone or when you have a Zoom meeting with someone where it's just that blind date experience and it, you don't have a system for harnessing and maximizing the value from that, that was $500 you just flushed down the drain because that could have been billable time. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to really be thoughtful about where you're applying that finite resource. And, and I think that's true for all of us. At the end of the day, Never mind solopreneurs. Let's talk about any objective you have professionally. Let's say you want to get a new job. Well, there's going to be a short list for that, right? There's going to be recruiters that you talk to. They can move the needle. There's going to be the short list of prospective employers with whom you already have a relationship because chances of you getting that job are much better than just, here's my resume. I hope you call me. And then you'd probably have a short list of uh, people who are professional mentors who are willing to open doors for you or people who are um, really well connected in the business community who can kind of vouch for you, right? Those are also going to be on your short list. I would say spend twice as much time with those people than you spend on Indeed throwing your resume out. I mean, this model applies across the board. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And what is the problem with them being able to do it in current CRM systems? Well, I think the, the main problem is that CRM really ultimately is trying to handle the entire funnel process, right? And again, this is this is not to throw CRM systems under the bus. If you don't have a CRM system, go get a CRM system. Every organization should have one. But I think what has happened is that people start to think that it's the Swiss army knife that's going to solve all their problems. And the fact of the matter is, Look, if you're hunting, I don't know, bear, you need a Bowie knife. Your Swiss Army knife's not going to get you there, right? Yep. And if you're looking at a solopreneur, if you're looking at an entrepreneur, if you're looking at somebody who's already got a full-time job and they really just need to focus on those relationships that matter most, they should have a tool that really is designed for that. CRM is going to be a generic tool that does a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end of the day, by the time you find the right screen and fill out all the you know, fields that are required in order you, for you to create some sort of pipeline in CRM, you've put a lot of time in. So you better be someone who has a lot of time for this and whose organization is really incentivizing you to use the software in that way. Is your innovation not a replacement for a CRM, but you know, an attitude to that? Like say my particular attorneys, right? I've got an employment law attorney, I've got a trademark attorney, I've got a you know, general business yeah. and contract attorney. So their entire law firm has this big CRM, but how yeah. does yeah. this facilitate them? Sure. It's a great question. We have many clients who don't yet have a CRM or they have one and they haven't really done much with it. It's just kind of sitting there and they're using Pipeline Plus as sort of a training wheels, kind of a, an onboarding experience, right? Because it's like, well, if you can get your seller doers, we like to call them the people who both do the work and sell the work, they're the same person. If you can get your seller doers to use Pipeline Plus, well, that's a good leading indicator that eventually they may grow into CRM. Now, statistically, they probably won't. I just have to tell you off the bat, it's very difficult to get professional services to adopt CRM, but at least you've taken a step in the right direction and they're able to be more focused and organized with the pursuits that are important to them. Other firms 
are using Pipeline Plus as a companion piece. So they have their CRM system, they lay this on top of it so that these folks only ever have to log into Pipeline Plus to do the minimum amount of work, which spoiler alert, that's all they're gonna do anyway, because they're billing their time otherwise, right? And that way they're able to do something that helps them be more effective with business development. And the people who are, you know, in the sort of marketing operations roles or in those leadership roles, they're getting some data, which is better than nothing in terms of evaluating, okay, what are our pursuits looking like? Where might there be some overlaps or some synergies in these pursuits? Are, are five lawyers talking to the same CPA firm expecting a referral from them because that's triple dipping or what is that? Quintuple dipping. And we're not going <laughs> to yeah. get there, right? So this kind of data is really important for firms to get some visibility into. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you categorize Pipeline Plus along with CRMs or how do you categorize it? Is it its own category? I'll tell you, we've struggled with this over the years. You know, Pipeline Plus has been in the market for a while and we are not a CRM. We're not a replacement to CRM. We are a CRM companion. We call ourselves a pipeline management app. But that's not really a category. If you, you know, look that up, you're not going to see like 90 products that fit that description. We do have a couple of competitors out there. So we know that, you know, in terms of are we the only ones doing it? No. So I guess we're a category. But we're really there to help solve a problem that is not going to be solved by adding more to your CRM. Again, that's iterative. Put it, making your CRM more complicated is just adding to what we already are struggling with. This is intended to be a disruption and saying, look, just rethink it. Okay, we're trying to solve a completely different problem here. We want to talk to your CRM so that all of your systems are ultimately, you know, connected to one another, but you're not going to get there by making something that's overcomplicated even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And so you basically, it was started with you. You were like, yeah. that's freaking it. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, started right. this. And then explain to me like the evolution of this, because you said it's been around for a while, but you are working with, you know, service providers, right? Yes. Yes. So explain to me the evolution of this and, and some of the results that these guys are getting, because you said they're leaving multiples of what they're already making on the table if they're not using a system like this. Sure, sure. So what I can tell you is, you know, I was putting a lot of time into forming all of these quote relationships. And at the end of the day, feeling like I actually hadn't made any relationships at all. I just had a lot of time with random people. And I got to a point in life where I just had no patience for it anymore. And for me, if it wasn't going to be a meaningful interaction, I kind of didn't want to have it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a terrible place for somebody who does business development for a living to be in. I recognize that if I don't start getting a lot more discerning with my time and helping other people be more discerning with their time, there's just a whole lot of waste between where you are and where you want to get to. So I really dedicated our business, my time, you know, everything that we're doing to this notion of quality over quantity. Less is more. Let's really get back to the essentials. Who are the people that you care about, where you have clear synergy and chemistry, where your objectives are aligned, where you can help them and they can help you and it's proven. And let's double down on that. Let's have no more of these moments where you're in the shower and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to Jim in nine months. What's wrong with me? He's like amazing and can really help me and I can really help him, but I've just gotten distracted by the daily whirlwind, right? So to have less of that and more of the more of the kinds of things that make a difference. And in terms of what is that difference specifically, you know, we see that 
when we're working with a firm that has licensed Pipeline Plus and has some sort of program that's really driving usage from the users, the ROI within a matter of months is in the multiple. So again, this is why I say there's multiples of business being left on the on the table in terms of the value of your book of business. So we see our clients come back to us and I mean, we're looking at the reports. It's like 3x, 4x, 10x of their investment is immediately coming back to them. And again, all we're doing is just removing some of these inefficiencies from the table so that they can get there in short order. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And what is the simplest program to get them to use it? What is the simplest program to get? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Less is more. Things are more simple. And you yep. mentioned these that have like a program for usage or a program for implementation. What's the simplest way? Yeah, that's great. So it's going to depend on the organization. I will say it in a word, and then let me just unpack it a little bit. But the simplest way to get them to use it is coaching. Now, that coaching could be internal, where they've already got some people internally in the organization who meet with the users on a regular basis and say, hey, look, you came up with this business development plan. Let's meet on a quarterly or a monthly basis and make sure that you know this is on your radar and you're implementing it, right? Because otherwise, you're just going to bill all of your time. And so that internal coach is really important in saying, let's open up Pipeline Plus together. Let's look at your targets and let's figure out what you're going to do with each person. Because without that process, we have intentions or we have those moments where we're like, I didn't talk to Jim. I didn't talk to Mary. And we don't necessarily do enough with that information because we are just distracted by business development as opposed to really focused on it. And the other kind of coaching that can be really effective is external coaching. So we have a team of coaches that we will put on certain accounts if they need that support. And that way, someone is reaching out to them on a regular basis. And again, saying, okay, let's look at your shortlist together. I see that these four contacts haven't gotten any outreach from you in a while. Why not? And there's always a story. Well, I haven't reached out to Jim because... I don't know. I I saw him at this event and he seemed really busy. And I don't know. I just don't want to be a nuisance, right? There's some narrative that's getting in the way of staying connected to these people who matter. Or I haven't reached out to Mary because I just looked on LinkedIn and I see that her company acquired another company. I should leave her alone for three months. It's like, what story are you making up and why? Like, (laughs) reach out to this person and congratulate them. And they probably need your help now more than ever. Look at what's on their plate, right? So so a lot of it is the coaching. So true. It's so very true. You know, I do a lot of nurturing and I find that when I do nurture, the people that I nurture, they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to you in forever. Yes, I need to. I'm the one that's nurturing, but they forgot and they need us right away or they want to talk or, you know, there's always a door that opens to that. But so you coach them, which is great. I'm glad you unpacked that. Do you help them set up a process with reminders so they can go in and just you know, automatically like contact their, what is it? 30%, 20, 20%. Yeah, that 20%. So the reminders are fortunately happening through the app, right? The app is sending emails. The app is integrated to the calendar. You know, that's being taken care of digitally. But I will say that it's really easy to ignore those reminders, right? How many of us are guilty of hitting the snooze button on a calendar reminder, or we just delete the email that's supposed to remind us to do something? So again, that's why that human component is so key. I really don't think that humans alone can do it because there simply isn't the bandwidth to remind people to do all the things they need to do manually. But I also don't think that digital alone can get us there because those insights, those aha moments, those, oh, right, I can reach out to Mary. I don't have to wait three months from now moments don't come from a reminder. 
They come from a conversation with somebody else who's, you know, helping us to maybe reframe something or think about it a little differently. So it's really that magical combination. Yeah. So very important. It's good to have coaches. Yes. So I good. Coaches. <laughs> I love what you said about nurturing. You know, you clearly have that business development mindset where you look at something and you see it as an opportunity to reach out, whereas someone else might look at it and say, oh, this is a, re- a an opportunity to retreat. And I will say that a lot of the folks that we work with in professional services tend to fall into that latter category because what they do for a living is they solve other people's problems. So they have to get really good at spotting those problems. They've gotten really good at, and you know this, I'm sure working with lawyers, you know, spotting liabilities or potential liabilities, they have a superpower in that. But unfortunately it works against them because they'll see all the reasons why not to do something before they get to the one that, you know, has them do it. So again, coaching is key. Yes, it's true. Well, listen, I really, you know, I tell you, I have coaches and, you know, nurturing has been something that I've been coached on. Right. And I see how valuable it is, but we all need coaches. Definitely. Well, I applaud you for being so coachable. That is not something that, you know, everybody necessarily brings to the table. I think it takes a level of self-awareness. It takes a level of humility. It takes, you know, you're clearly really smart, really accomplished, but sometimes that becomes a little too much of ego where it's like, don't tell me what to do. I already know everything, right? I mean, these are all the things we navigate as human beings and it it can close off our opportunity to grow further if we don't have some of that coachability stirred in. Really stagnate us. That's right. Stagnate us. Sometimes we don't always level up and we're having other people level up, but you know, who's going to get us to level up? I tell you, you now being accountable to a coach, sometimes I feel like a little kid. Oh, I didn't get that done. Oh, I better get that done. I cannot get on my coaching session and not have that done, right? But this ties back to what you're all about, KJ, is disruption, right? That coach comes in to provide a little bit of healthy disruption in the way that things are being done so that you can perhaps find a better way of doing it. That is so true. So, you know, we've mentioned when we introduced you, right, service industries such as attorneys, which talked about that. We mentioned CPAs consultants, engineering, what, which are the ones that seem to be the most successful, the early adopters right now? It's within every industry. I mean, we, you know, we work with financial services and we find that there are those who are, who really resonate with this idea of the short list. And then there are others who are like, no, I, I, it's a numbers game. I got to meet with as many people as possible. And I'm not here to say that our approach is right for everyone, right? So the early adopters are the ones who resonate with this approach. The early adopters are perhaps the ones who have tried serial networking and they're really over it and they don't have an alternative to explore. Or perhaps they haven't done much BD at all because this notion of working a room or meeting as many people as possible or amassing 500 plus LinkedIn connections just isn't their jam. And that's totally okay. Uh, You know, I'll tell you another quick story about kind of the evolution of this personally. I think in my younger years, I was an extrovert. In fact, I know I was. My my first career was as an actor. I was on stage. I was on television. You know, for me, it was all about being performative and getting attention from other people, right? But as I moved closer and closer to middle age, I found that I'm kind of more of an ambivert now. I'm not an introvert where just leave me alone. I want to retreat. I, I you know, need to energize myself. But I'm I'm somewhere in the middle, and it sort of depends on my mood. And the more I've gotten that way, the more I think discerning I've had to be. The more I recognize my time is really valuable. I don't have as much of it left as I did when I was in my 20s, right? Like I'm mortal. 
And I think also, as I said, my patience for just doing anything, anytime, it has really, you know, whittled down. And so I think some of this really comes with maturity and with trying a bunch of things that at some point stop working and then just recognizing that, you know, we evolve in a certain way. And so to come back to your question about early adopters, those people in any organization are the people who tend to get this concept and embrace it before people who perhaps have a more traditional way of thinking or frankly are just never going to develop business no matter what you throw at them because they're not intrinsically motivated to do so. Yeah, that's so very interesting. I can see people getting to a certain stage in their career and going, you know what, I really need to maximize my time and make it the most quality. And then others that are like, I am never going to do that numbers game. I'm never going to be good at it, right? But I've got to eat. I've got to survive. I'm really good at what I do. Yeah, I think you, you come to it in a variety of different ways. And at the end of the day, you know, people who are a little further along in their careers, they also have a pretty interesting shortlist, right? Like their biggest client is actually significant. Their biggest referral source is someone they've known for a couple of decades and who where they've really built loyalty with that person. This book that I'm working on is all about accelerating that process. So even if you're early in the early stage, you can develop a pretty powerful shortlist if you're being intentional and purposeful and strategic about it. Whereas most people just find themselves with one after a few decades of being in the saddle. You know, I could see like so many service industries, like I could see like high powered realtors really using this, right? How many service providers are there? Do we know? How big is this market? Yeah, I used to know the answer to this question, but every time I turn around, a new service industry emerges, right? Or there's a new sub niche within a niche. Right, like the cottage industry of all these fractional CMOs, fractional CSOs, fractional COOs, yes. Yeah. And even there, it's like, well, you've got fractional CMOs who specialize in cryptocurrency. Do you know, it's like, wow, you've gotten really, really micro niched at this point. But, you know, Google around a little bit. There's probably a conference for those people. And, you know, there's a a community (laughs) there. I think this is something that, especially with the advent of AI, talk about another, you know, disruption where you're going to have a whole bunch of new jobs created and a whole bunch of other jobs that are being challenged. It's going to really change this landscape and make it even more micro-niched in various arenas. Yes, I agree with that. That'll be interesting. That'll be mm-hmm. interesting for Pipeline Plus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think it'll be even more important to develop deep relationships with that shortlist because the more people can just go to a platform and get what they need in terms of information, the less likely they're going to rely on the people who were experts in that arena and pay whatever fee that they want to be paid for their time. So we've got to make sure that we've got loyal relationships where they really understand that the value here is multifaceted. We have to get away from being transactions with each other. And again, that's why that short list of relationships that matter are going to be even more valuable than more transactional relationships that you would have on the periphery. Oh my gosh, well said. You should have done a mic drop after that. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know you used to be a thespian. Yes. And yeah, so now what do you do? What are your crazy passions outside of Pipeline Plus? Well, writing this book has been a labor of love, but I tell you, I, I really enjoy it. If I can get past the first 30 or 40 minutes, which are just a slog, then I get into the zone and I'm creating and I'm really enjoying it. You know, it's funny, I, I was pretty successful as an actor and I 
run into people who either knew me then or they find out that this was part of my my background a prior career and they're like well don't you miss it because it sounds really glamorous you were on tv you were in movies all of this stuff and i have to tell you i don't miss it at all and the reason i don't miss it at all is when i was an actor i spent about one percent of my time actually acting i spent 99 percent of my time hustling and that's where I learned so much about business development and about how difficult it is and how painful it can be and why it really is important for me to make that easier for other people. And that's one of the reasons I eventually left it. I was like, look, if if I have to hustle for the sake of the 1% time when I'm actually doing something I love, that's not a great way to spend my life. But if I can get passionate about how I can turn what I've learned into a way of serving other people and build a company, which is an incredibly creative process that's much more interesting to me. So that's ultimately what drove that transition. Yeah, you just took your acting and put it on a different stage. Yeah, exactly. And you look, I, I'm in front of people all the time talking about this stuff. I'm doing it now. I get on stage, do keynotes, presentations all over the country. I mean, I still get to perform. But like I said, I'm a little more of an ambivert now, so I don't need to do it as often to scratch yeah. the edge. That's good. And so the book, The Shortlist, which I absolutely love the title, is this sort of your hat write-up? Hat right up. Tell me what that means. Oh my gosh. Well, back in the day when we mostly traveled by train and we still transverse goods by train, right? Yes. Different positions had different hats. The engineer had a hat and someone, a conductor had a hat and so forth. And that was their job, right? And so that sort of a term that's turned into, you know, a noun, a verb, an action, like I'm going to hat you on your job or here's your hat. Or my hat is whatever, right? So yes. is this your write-up of like your successful actions of what you've done to cultivate a shortlist and how to use it? So far. I, I imagine, you know, five years, 10 years after the book is published, I'll probably have a whole new hat that I want to either put on top of this one or maybe swap out for. I'll tell you, it's an evolution. And anyone who's written a book, I think, can attest to this. As I'm writing the book, I'm getting even more crystal clear on what that hat looks like and how that hat can ultimately help other people who want to try it on. So the process of writing a book, I think, is challenging in a whole bunch of ways. But one of the ways that it's most rewarding is you're writing it for other people and you always look at it through that lens, but you're also writing it for yourself. Like, wait a minute, what do I want to say to the world? And that's a really important question to ask yourself and be challenged to crystallize and ultimately put out there. Yes, it is quite a process to write a book. Yeah. Have you? Have you written one? I'm in the process of doing it. Oh, tell me about yours. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> it is all about the court of public opinion and how uh -huh. you control it. And it's started from the history of crisis management and how that, you know, actually works and how the mathematical and engineering and physics laws, are, you know, strategists who manage crises know this, but it's not been translated over to proactive. Yes, we are. And if, you know, companies knew what public companies know about controlling and guiding public opinion, which is 33% of the entire market cap, yep. if they knew that, you know, and how to do that today to increase goodwill for their brand or themselves, they would have more control over their income. Yes, that's right. That's what it's about. So I love it. And how to do it. Yeah. It is well, quite I, a process, though. I, I look forward to us swapping books next year. That'd be fun. That'd be super fun. All right. So tell people how to get a hold of you. 
Sure. It's really easy. You just go to pipelineplus.com and there's a lot of information on there on various white papers that we've published. Our CRM studies are up there. There's more information on the Pipeline Plus app up there. There'll be information on the book. All of it will be there. So just pipelineplus.com. That's the place to start. That's awesome. And if you were going to leave our listeners with some food for thought, inspiration, tidbit from this show, what would it be? I would say start by thinking about who is on your short list. And I don't just mean, oh, yeah, I think, I mean, I can tell you who my top clients are. And I can probably tell you, I mean, I think referral sources, I have these two or three. And gosh, these people are pretty influential in my life. So sure, I know what my short list is. No, write it down. Write it down and really challenge yourself to come up with a minimum of 10 and a maximum of 30. If it's more than 30, it's really hard to manage that many people meaningfully, right? Because you've got to be seeing these people on a regular basis and checking in with them and helping them. So write down that list of 10 to 30. What is your short list? And once you've done that, start thinking about how you can just nurture those relationships a little bit more and contribute to them a little bit more. And also maybe check in with them a little more often I, I and see what they can bring back to you. I, I just often have this thought of, I know who these people are, but too often I have the thought of, I haven't talked to them in, in too long, right? I need to catch up. I need to touch base. Well, that's because I haven't been doing a good job of nurturing those relationships. And I think we're all a little guilty of that if we don't have some sort of system in place. I agree. What a good lesson. And I will add to that. You know, communication lines are so important. My line to you, your line yes. to me. Yes. Valuable. People consider it valuable. And one thing in PR is it's the communication line that's the most important, not what you put on it. Yes. And that has like shown to be true throughout my life and my career. Just the fact that I know that I can call David and we can just shoot the shit about something. It doesn't uh-huh. matter. Uh-huh. But when something, and that is a communication line, it's important. And when something meaningful needs to be put on that line, the line is there. Yeah, that's right. And that's so that's what nurturing is. Yes. And, and again, I, it comes back to something we both talked about earlier, which is that you don't put a communication line just because there's been an introduction. You've got to reinforce it, right? I mean, KJ, I, I mean it. I want I want a copy of your book. I'll, I'll buy it when it's ready to go out there. But then you and I need to have a conversation about it. And otherwise, it's like, David Ackert, didn't I interview him like four years ago right. and never talk to him again? There's no communication <laughs> line, right? So again, right. we've got to make sure that we're really prioritizing the people that matter and putting that effort in. That's so great. I love that. David, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, KJ. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet. All right, that's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some info from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.